Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC welcome to the lovely, the talented Miss Kalea Carrington. How are you, Kalea? I'm good, thank you. How are you today? I am so good. It's so good to have you on. We were joking before we pushed the big shiny red record button. We chatted, I think, way back at the beginning of COVID, which I'll be blunt, I have no concept of time anymore. And I've heard this from other people, so I don't think it's just a a me phenomenon. But you are uh, rocking and rolling. I saw you recently at the uh, Canadian Blockchain event. Uh, You emceed uh, or you you presented. Uh, I just, I love what you're doing. I love your energy. This is as much me just checking in. It's been a couple of years. You've got CEO, co-founder at Absolute Combustion. You're a board member at Alberta Women Entrepreneurs, executive director of Canadian Blockchain. I'm just going to stop just reading your profile on your LinkedIn, which is what I'm doing right now. But thanks for coming on the show. Talk to me a little bit right off the top. Let's let everybody know what's Absolute Combustion all about. We'll do the quick little elevator pitch, and then we'll pick up the conversation from there. I love it. So Absolute Combustion, so my my day job is I design combustion heating solutions for various different industries. Right now I'm designing new heater systems for the construction industry that's going to sit within their uh, ESG mandates. I design ground heating service equipment for aviation. I've designed uh, large combustion burner systems for um, oil and gas, kind of midstream processing plants. Uh, So it's all around clean technology. So we've designed a burner system that can reduce emissions anywhere from 35 up to 72%, depending on the application and the fuel type that's being used. We increase uh, safety and we increase revenues on the bottom line. But it's all around kind of like that people, planet, profit. We want to make sure people stay safe and the planet is, you know, we're good environmental stewards. And then at the end of the day, we make good money. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. People, planet, profit. I haven't heard that for a while. It felt like, and I, I'm not trying to minimize it. There's always these cycles of terms that kind of run through and then they kind of fade out. Is a triple P company, is that still a focus? Like, do you operate as that as part of your leading mandate of like, yeah, that's who we are. And every decision gets filtered through that right from the top, all the way, all the way down, all the way back up again. You know, uh, it's been that way. Like, so when we started the company, my father and I was actually, when I was uh, pregnant with my, my first son and my father sat me down. He's like, all right, you and I, we're going to start a technology company. The technology company has to save the environment. We have to do something that's going to benefit the environment. 
by benefiting the environment, we're going to benefit the people that live on it. And it's been since probably 2005 since we had this conversation. So it's, it has, it's never really been a cycle. We were into what people now call clean tech or, you know, climate change technology. And now that's over at ESG. I have many cycles of the phrases that people have used, but at our core, like we've always believed in environmental stewardship and how are we going to make sure that next generation has a, a healthy planet to live on? How can we reduce our negative imprint on the world? And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to now start to see that come as more of the forefront of conversations to companies. Because mm-hmm. back in the day, we used to get door slammed in our face. It was like, what do you mean clean tech? Ugh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> the clean tech before, before it was cool. But I love what you said. Yeah. You guys had a, you had a mandate and then you built a, it's not like you had a technology and ran around finding somewhere for it to fit. You said, you know, whatever we do, it's going to have to do this. Okay, great. Now let's make sure that's our, you know, you had a filtering criteria before you even kind of got going. I'm sure there's a lot of ideas didn't make it past the cutting room floor because they didn't meet that kind of higher level objective. Which I appreciate the discipline and the extra work it takes. It's worth it when you get there, but it doesn't mean it's easy to get through that when you've got such a high, high arching, overarching objective. When I chatted with you, one of the things that stuck out, and I think I requoted you a few times, um, all, all the things I know and all the things I learned, I learned from my amazing guests on the show. You talked about the challenges experienced by smaller companies going through that, like, hey, we had all, you, you know, if, I'm paraphrasing, so please correct me if I get it wrong, but you know, we have a lot of incubators, and we have a lot of people that really help you with that startup and get your idea going, but that chasm of kind of death almost, I think you might have called it, or again, my own words, from when you've got that product to getting that first customer to like who's willing to take that risk. And I remember you sharing that you said, Hey, you know, in Alberta or anywhere, that's the gap we've got to fix because if we're getting everyone really excited and getting their idea incubated to the point that, okay, we're ready to go commercial. Oh, and now there's nobody ready to buy it. We're really doing a disservice by almost getting people farther down and then, and then pulling the rope back in. Curious of your views on that. And I apologize. I might've paraphrased the heck out of that, but I walked around with that and kind of shared that with a few people after you chatted about, this is a problem specifically you were seeing in Alberta at the time. It was a couple of years ago. Views on that thoughts that I get it right. And kind of what have you seen ar- around that kind of change or evolve? Or are we getting it better? <laughs> I guess is a question. Um, okay. So definitely very much in line with, with what I was talking about. And it was that experience of being a tech entrepreneur and going, I got amazing funding like SDTC, NRC, IRAP, U of A, Nate, uh, Alberta Innovates, massive supporter, shred claims. You get all this funding, this amazing innovative idea. People want to buy into this crazy idea that could change the world. And then you get to the point where you're like prototyping. You're like, okay, now let's get into industry. And industry goes, uh, well, what do you expect me to do about this? Right? It's because there's um there's a level of risk aversion. And I believe that risk aversion is also a part of corporate culture. People are afraid to take risks. They're afraid to champion it. Generally, the person that you need to champion it is, is the one whose job would be most on the line. So if, if your corporate culture doesn't say, yes, let's try something new, let's take that risk, then you're less inclined to try and champion for a new piece of technology or a new way of doing business because it could mean that your livelihood is impacted. So because that that corporate culture is so prominent, especially in legacy industries, when you have innovators, especially in Alberta, that are looking at legacy systems in the energy space, the agriculture space, the healthcare space, logistics supply chain space, like these are legacy level industries that are very risk adverse. It's do business the way you know how to do business. A really great example of that was Suzanne West. She was like, she was that person that said, yes, I see your vision. We share that same vision. She repurposed it. Like she said, like people, planet, profit. And I was like, yes, that's basically what we do. It's, it's, 
not exactly in the ways that we've used it, but we've, we're very much in line with that. And her board ended up removing her from her company because they said she wasn't focused enough on traditional oil and gas business because she wanted yeah, to get I, to I net zero. When, she wanted to, when that happened, yeah. She wanted to focus on those clean technologies and she wanted to be that innovator and that environmental steward and traditional, you know, gentlemen in oil and gas were like, nope, we don't want this removed. And so it's it's a scary place to be in. And as back, for us, it was too. It was like our first time commercializing, our first major sale. And then the company that came in and bought it was like, nope, we don't want your stuff. We'll, we'll avoid your contracts. Sue us if you feel like it. Get your stuff off of our site. Us and then I think there was like 17 other clean techs that she had adopted. So due to that, it's, it is it is a little bit hard to try and hmm. find that champion. And then for that champion to make it all the way through to getting that, that product through the door. Now, do, have I seen in the last few years changes so i would preface that by i had to make a change myself when i first developed the technology with my father it was like we saw a problem that we believed was impactful to the industry we saw major emissions coming out of combustion and we designed a product to go hey this is going to reduce your emissions increase your safety all these great things but you take it to a legacy business they're like well that's not really my problem so we assumed a problem that they were like, yeah, it's an issue, but it's not a big enough issue for us to take this level of risk. The next time we went and innovated, it was like, all right, instead of trying to push something into the market and be innovative with it or clean with it, we had to learn how to create a market pull. So we got an amazing opportunity where industry came to us, saw what we had to offer, and we're like, okay, where do you see this making a fit? They're like, we have a critical issue here. Would you help solve for this? And next thing we know, we're getting major buy-in from the Edmonton International Airport. We're getting buy-in from ground servicing companies and airlines to go, yes, this is an issue. We would like this solved for. And then we're able to commercialize it out of the gate. So seven years struggling in a legacy industry, getting nowhere because they're like, well, it's not really our problem versus like three years to commercialize in another, you know, transportation still a legacy industry. But mm -hmm. we were solving for the problem they believed that they had. Falling the, the old comment, fall in love with the problem, but whose problem are you falling in love with? Because you fall in love with your perception of the problem, it's not always the customer's perception of the problem. Exactly. So that chasm, yeah. that lack of support and that commercialization yeah. is as much to do with the entrepreneur innovating and designing something as it has to do with the legacy business, right? So there's a communication piece where the legacy <laughs> business a lot of the times they do know their issues. Sometimes they don't know their issues. But mm -hmm. if you don't have that collaborative approach to be like, okay, let's look at this. Are you looking to optimize? Do you want more efficiency? What exactly do you want? And then as that innovator going, okay, I have the opportunity to really land this amazing customer if I'm willing to innovate towards my customer's needs versus going, this is what I know you need and this is what I think is going to make it best for you. And that is the biggest gap I think I've seen, especially in Alberta, is that lack of communication between industry and innovation and innovators, you know, not knowing how to even explain what they have to industry. Because if you're if you're into technology, you get very much into the weeds. You're you're really getting into this is my tech and this is what it can do and all the you know so what, what the you deep fall, dive. What, you fall, what you're falling in love with. <laughs> exactly. And to the business person, it's like, well, if they don't really understand your tech, they're looking at it from a business value proposition and you can't explain the value proposition. You can only explain the tech, right? You're going to lose them there as well. So communication, mm. I think, is- As a marketer, that's barriers. kind of a one-on-one -on -one challenge. And the more technically oriented the organization, the more challenging they have to translate mm. their features to the actual customer's version of benefit. Right? That's. Uh, are you seeing in the last couple of years, I'm seeing it a little bit. Um, so 
where bigger industries, there's a more of a tendency to kind of merge. And my wife just went through the avatar program mm. and I've got Kevin Krauser on this afternoon to learn a little bit more. And I watched that process of, you know, large, you know, TC, I forget, there was a handful of them, large kind of the who's who that were all sponsoring this program, which was about innovating around problems that they had. And then they would bring mentors to the table. And to me, it just felt like a really interesting gap that might have a chance of, of fixing some of what you just described. Because while this group of industry professionals got brought together to solve like my wife's group was a methane problem. They had coaches, they had a coach from Spartan Controls that came in to say, hey, here's what the industry is really dealing with. Here's what we're seeing. So it was interesting, like thinking about what you just described, how they kind of, I think, built around some of those challenges and those larger potential future customers or, or sponsors of these, pro, of these potential prototyping initiatives were all at the table really, really early, which to me sets us up for not spending 12 weeks designing something that nobody needs or wants. <laughs> Buy-in is one of the most important things that I've learned. So I, I do believe that it's to those who have made it through that stage, the learnings and understandings have, and, and their ability to like, to, to, to teach that, to pay those lessons forward and help that next innovator, you know, succeed because, you know, they, they understand the hurdles that they're going to go through. Mm. I see like that as being that really impactful piece. And then if you're a technologist or you're in the tech industry, I mean, to be honest, COVID is one of the best things that could have happened for you. Technological adoption leaped forward, you know, almost, what were they saying? I think the McKinsey Institute said like six years almost of adoption within the first three weeks of COVID hitting. Oh, um, Alberta Innovate stated yesterday in one of their talks, which was absolutely incredible. They're like, we were trying to get our, our company to transition over to Teams prior to COVID. We are like, we, it will take us two years to get 600 people to agree to use Teams. They said we had 98% of them on board using this platform within three weeks, which was yeah. a huge showcase and shift. People like I used to do go to meeting back in the day, trying yep, to get I, like I've, my, I've done that as well. Yep. <laughs> my updates to my to my shareholders. Now it's like you're using Google Meets, you're using Teams, you're using Zoom, you're using all these different things. Like you you've now learned that you can work remotely. You have amazing software tools that are helping you uh, like automate even your bookkeeping accounting processes. Like people now realize that need for technology so if you're de you're designing something that's like a, a service provider or you know it's something that's going to make things easier for people to continue to do their live their daily lives i mean you're more apt to get adopted now because that's become the new normal is utilizing this technology to perform work functions that before it's like you couldn't imagine not taking that trip to japan to meet that person in person hmm. right it's like now it's like, well, why would I take this trip to Japan? Because this two-hour conversation that we're about to have does not require a ten-hour flight. Yes, a ten-hour. Yeah, and jet lag. Jet lag is a real disease. Oh no! <laughs> so interesting talking to some founders. I just, I recently had, um, I think we just aired it this week. Nick Beek was on talking about what they did at Helsum. And he's like, Tyler, I couldn't imagine going out trying to do this race if I had to travel. He goes, I was taped to my office chair, literally duct taped to my chair for for two to three months. But he goes, that would have been all on the road. And he just kind of shared from his own point of view of like how disruptive. He goes, it was hugely disruptive as far as like being an entrepreneur going out to do a raise but he goes I could I could do it and still go home every night and the difference that that created even at the pulling you away or distracting you from your business or taking you out of the day-to-day -day, if you're if you're in a funding if you're in a funding round uh, so talking about this innovation 
change management. And it's something that comes up and I find often forgotten. And I talk to a lot of change management people are like, oh, if we would have started with the, the human element of adoption and change and willingness, you express that we've had such a huge shift. And like you said, what, what we did in, in three weeks would have taken six years, which I agree. I choose to find the silver linings in COVID. And I think that was, that was one of them. But when you're thinking about even your solution, how much is it a factor? It's the onboarding or actually getting kind of embedded in that organization or in with your customers to really help the psychology of people changing of like, shit, we've done it this way for, we've always done it this way for 10 years. And no matter who we are, we've all got something in our life that shit, that's the way we always did it. How much is that a factor do you see as the vendor, as the supplier of this new technology or a new way of doing anything? How, how hard is it or how important is it both to get into that organization to help the human element get used to a new thing? Well, I would say change is naturally scary, right? People <laughs> live within their comfort zone and the second they sit outside their comfort zone, there's a little bit of angst and it's like, oh, what's this going to look like? And the one thing I've noticed in terms of if you're going to adopt to change, it's, it's almost like the, the frog in the water. Like you want to slowly turn <laughs> up the heat to the point where they can't quite hop out anymore. Like you don't stick them in a pot of boiling water, let them leap. You slowly turn it up a little bit. So yep. no, I think that pro progressive overload is a good concept. I agree. <laughs> so when, when we design something, what we'll do is we'll go out directly to the industry. And what we'll start off with is actually the operators because they're the ones that they're going to be utilizing. So our, our, we have industrial technology, right? So the people who have to use it are the ones that are outside, the ones that are, you know, having to perform that more manual labor aspect. And it's like, all right, what would make your life easier? What would you need to see in something new that would make you want to adopt this piece of technology that would make you prefer what I have over the competition? And then they give me that feedback. And it's like, okay, well, this makes sense. And then you, you design that, you let them go test it. You give me your response. You get that buy-in because they feel like they're a part of that process. And the operator's like, wow, you've made, like when we finally finished our, our you know, MVP, we brought it out and we got to use it up in, the, in Yellowknife, or sorry, the Yukon. And the number one feedback we got from the operators was like, it's like you built this for us. And they've never yeah, tried it yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. They're like, it's like you built this for us. It's because it's like we've listened to your struggles specifically for the last three years, but understanding what, you know, management's going to want to see. It's like they want to see that cost savings. They want to see that efficiency improvement. They want to meet that ESG mandate. But the people who want to use the technology, they want it more friendly. They want that interface. They want that, you know, that, that ease to be not have to completely learn something new because that's where they're like, we just want to do our job. We don't want to have to learn about every new little thing to be able to perform this very simple function. So it's like, all right, we had to, as innovators go, we have to make this so simple, so streamlined that all they have to do is push a button and it does everything that they want. So the struggle was on us to make it so simple for them that they got to perform their job and functions so much easier because then they're advocating, we want this, give us this. And you're getting that buy-in from that ground level. And then you're, you're hitting that executive level going, look, we're meeting all of your targets and your guys really want this, right? So it's like a top-down, bottom-up approach to innovation. Because really, it's like, yeah, you want to sell that CEO. But if you sell the CEO, and I learned this the hard way as well from Suzanne, I sold the CEO. But when it came down to the site operators and they said, your equipment isn't user-friendly, it was like, they didn't really want it. They saw it as something they had to deal with, not something they wanted to deal with. So all those little learnings, you're like, okay, we can do this better next time. It is on us to make this better, but we have like we have to get buy-in from multiple levels of this company so that by the time it gets to the person who has to write that check, you know, they're getting pressure on both ends to make sure that check gets written. 
I appreciate that. There's the number, some of the stats I've read, like especially in B2B and like the number of people that are invo- involved in a buying group and that decision and who's the influencer versus who's the real decision maker and how that moves around. And I love, and I've been in so many situations where you sold an executive team, but the people that were actually on the ground doing the work wanted nothing to do with it. Or you start to see sometimes the fracture that exists inside those organizations between the top down and the bottom and the ivory tower and all those old stereotypes. How would you know I, what the right hand's doing? Yeah, <laughs> totally. So there's, all these there's all these catchy buzz phrases because they're all they're they're unfortunately can be very true so i'm a startup i'm really into my idea what's advice or you know i know you work as so much as a mentor and 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 a person out in the community that's talking with companies that are that are dealing with these same challenges how do you i guess advice or tips and tricks to find the time or to find the means to you know you're building your tech you're focused on that you're trying to raise money and oh geez i've got to deal with my executive and i've got to get boots on the ground any advice or thoughts, or is there one that just outweighs the other, like that really falling in love with their problem concept that we touched on earlier? What would be your advice, or how would you kind of categorize, like you've got so many hours in the day, make sure that these hours are prioritized first? Mm. Oh, goodness. Well, I'd say if, if you're in the innovation stage, right, and you want to be innovative and, and you know the industry that you're innovating for, you know, put that dedicated time to getting those meetings with the people within the organization and not at the highest level but the people in the organization whose life is going to be impacted positively by this change. Put that time in, develop those relationships. Like authentic relationship-based business, I think is just, it's been lost and is one of the most meaningful things that you can do, developing those relationships. Because you'll, you'll get that champion willing to go to bat for you. I will do so much more for you if I like you and I, and I feel you genuinely like me than I will if I think you're trying to sell me something, right? So if you put in the time to develop that, that is a massive starting point because then you're going to get the feedback and, and you're going to become aware of things you might not have been aware of. Like if you're if you're just designing and going, all right, I'm building this tech, I think it's going to be amazing, but you don't truly understand the consumer's problem, right? You might be going down the wrong direction and you could fix that really quickly and easily if you dialogue early. Like don't get it to the point where you've already put in that money and you're looking for funding and you're trying to get that customer, but that customer doesn't really want to accept it. And you've put your time and effort in t- towards something that you could have made simple, easy changes at the drawing board versus trying to make it midway or at the final product where now you've realized you don't really have something. So that would be like my first encouragement to, to anyone there. And then when you're along that line of like trying to develop and test that product, use those relationships and those champions within your organization, get those feedbacks right? Get them to try it. Get them to, to tell you how is this working and, and really listen. Like, don't come in with a cup that's full, right? Come in with that cup that's half full and realize <laughs> you that can't fill, You so can't fill the cup that's already full. I think I, I watched cool. Avatar with my wife on the weekend. She wanted to watch it again. And that was a great line. You cannot fill a cup that is already full. <laughs> well, you can't. You line. really can't. You, you need to be able to like, even, <laughs> and this is for anything, even if you're coming in and, and you're, you want to be mentored, People have an ego that comes with them. And it's just like, well, you can't teach me anything. I already know it all. It's just like, well, you're right. I can't teach you anything. Best of luck with you. I'm not going to argue that two plus two is 11 if you really feel that that's what the answer is. Like, I don't argue with idiots. So, like, come in being willing to learn. Well, there's there's, the, there's the mic drop moment for today's episode. Don't waste your time arguing with idiots. I, I won't. I absolutely refuse. Like, if I'm, I'm not going to waste my time because time is the most valuable resource I have that I can never give back. And if you're wasting it, I'm not going to sit there wasting my time arguing with, with a stupid person. It's like, I'm sorry. And it's, 
Best and of I luck. think sometimes it's just not the right fit and that's, and that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, it doesn't mean I know everything. It just means like, where do you want to put your valuable time and energy? If you really believe you have like a billion dollar idea. And this is where we thought, like when we were starting off trying to find like, okay, we know what our mandate is. Now we have to find technologies. The biggest issue in roadblock we ran into was the ego. It was people who created a technology that went, it's a billion dollar idea. And I'm not willing to get rid of it for less than like, you know, they'll, they can have $10 million for 10% of my company for a technology yeah, yeah, that's yeah. never been out of the lab or commercialized. And it's because they, they, it's beautiful to have such a strong belief, but at the same time, their ego around what they've designed or created blocked them from ever taking it through to that market adoption stage because they didn't understand. It's like, it's not a billion dollar idea unless someone's paying you a billion dollars for it. Very similar <laughs> to your house. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. only worth what someone's willing someone to pay, will pay for. Someone will pay you for it, yes, 100%. And if you can't grasp that concept, then you're going to have a very difficult time getting it in, in the door. So having that openness and that willingness to participate, collaborate, communicate with who you want your customer to be to find out what, like maybe you do have a great idea, but maybe those little tweaks are what take it over that finish line. And if you're open enough to hearing feedback, truly hearing feedback and having those humbling moments, you know, you're, I, I find that you're going to be way more successful because people are going to feel, feel heard. And, and people want very basic things in this life. We want to feel special. They want to feel seen. They want to feel heard. They want to be acknowledged. So if you come at it from an emotional intelligence pr perspective as well, knowing the human psychology and what they need, you can develop those authentic relationships and at the same time get what it is that you need as that innovator at the end of the day because you're giving the person what they want to feel. They want to feel like, okay, you're really hearing my problems and you're really going to create a solution for my problems. And I'm going to feel so special that I'm going to advocate and want to get your solution adopted into this industry because you know you've done like there's that exchange in value that's being mm -hmm. provided. That's such an interesting. Sooner or later, you can't get past the you know the charts and the formulas and and, and the frameworks of thinking. Sooner or later, it's still a bunch of humans, right? And having a messy having having a messy experience, and if we don't feel heard or we don't feel valued in any way, we're not gonna we're not gonna buy in. Uh, just curious, and again, this is we're now we're, we're quickly getting into the philosophical side of this, which is impossible <laughs> not to because we're a bunch of kind of bunch of people. Alberta, you know, we're early to this this world of tech startups and innovation. Is that contributing a little bit to some of what you just said about no, this is my beautiful idea and it's worth millions and therefore I'm not even at the risk of even compromising myself in any way I won't even go forward talking about you know we need more startups in the province we need more people willing to kind of put themselves out there and create that change is that also something that uh, over time or you know you've been involved in this game for a long time are we evolving is it getting quote-unquote better are people becoming more open to going well hey I've got an idea but I see these other groups that have gone forward and I haven't maybe I should change my viewpoint like are we is there any point where a critical mass or that there's a little bit more of a movement or a momentum that happens that gets some of those stuffy you know a good idea I'm never going to change off the sidelines and actually turn them into legitimate startups are are we on a direction where that's getting better or are you seeing it's just an individual kind of case you know um to be honest, I think we're just getting to a point where people are more aware of it happening. Mm. Okay. Because, again, so like being in Alberta, we really are a technology industry. And I think a lot of people are just now starting to be like, oh, look, we have a tech sector. No, 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 my sweet child. <laughs> we have had a tech sector for like the last hundred years. Like if you really think about it, these legacy industries, they can only evolve based on technologies that have come out. They wanted to get into fracking. Guess what? Technology had to be designed to get access to the heavy and ultra-heavy oil reserves based on the province that we were in. Technology is a pillar that this 
province has stood on top of and not recognized for a very long time. It's the innovation that comes from the people in designing new technologies to go into these legacy industries that allow for them to be, you know, the lowest emission producers or what we're able to do in agriculture in a very harsh climate, what we're able to do in terms of supply chain, like everything is innovated around technologies. And I know people go, oh, well, they're so slow to adapt and change, but it's like, at the same time, they couldn't do what they do if they didn't adopt for new things. Like there's now these tractors that based on machine learning and IOT can completely go around and, and yield crops without, and you're basically playing it like a freaking remote control. You're just watching this thing go up and down your fields. That's massive innovation based on efficiencies, based on farmers going, okay, how do I make my life better? How do I, how do I innovate towards something like this? So I think what we're seeing now is this awareness of an industry mm. because I've been a part of this industry for my entire adult life advocating like we need to be aware of it. We need to be recognized for the work that we're doing in these industries because we're allowing for these exports to happen. We're allowing for these efficiencies to be gained. We're allowing for the safety of our people to be, you know, considered. And now our government's going, oh, okay, we're going to recognize the work that you're doing. And that's why the tech sector is getting so much more support. And the biggest thing why people are going, oh, look, it's booming now. People want to be where the innovation is at. There's a reason why Silicon Valley was considered to be successful. Your first customer with, would be within like a five kilometer radius. Yeah, there was yeah, a innovation bike, a bike there. Ride, within a bike ride away, right? <laughs> exactly, right? But you had money, you had talent, but you had awareness of it. People go, went there because they knew, oh, I'll get access to money, I'll get access to talent, I'll get access to customers. Now that our government and our industry is coming together as this ecosystem as a whole, and <coughs> excuse me, that's a big part of why we've been put on our tax symposiums. Cause it's like, look, this entire ecosystem comes together collaboratively. If we are a big, big resounding voice saying we have talent, we have capabilities, we will create customers, you know, we're, we're, we're attracting money. All these things are creating that adoption. They've always been there. It's just now that there's more awareness, mm-hmm. now more people are coming to the table because it's like they do have good ideas. And I think there's always been a huge entrepreneurial spirit here in Alberta. And you've had to have it to live in such a harsh climate, to live basically so remote. It requires, it requires hardy stock, for sure it does. <laughs> it, it really does. And we're, we're so innovative. And now more and more people go, well, especially since COVID, you can't really rely, especially like if your government can just shut down a business and that's your livelihood, you're way more prone now to be like, how do I create my own livelihood? Like, how do I make sure that I'm okay regardless of what happens out there? And that's where more and more innovation and technology has come from. But I just see it as more awareness to the innovation that has already been in this ecosystem for so very long. And I'm just excited that our government is finally starting to recognize it. It's like, we are a pillar to which you stand. And we are a very vital and important pillar that needs to be recognized. And I don't see it as like completely, um, you know, diversifying our economy like we are an energy and agriculture based kind of ecosystem. Mm -hmm. But I see this as those opportunities that will, you know, strengthen our economy even further. 
That was uh, very well said, and I think you're right. I talked to so many people in oil and gas. You're like, hey, do you not think we have technology? Do you not think we've been working, like especially in, in large, uh, the big, the big, the, the big ones about what we've been doing? And you know, SAG D is a really good example of something that the government got behind, and all of a sudden we created this industry that was was literally a pipe dream. Uh, curious, you you talked a little bit about you know awareness, and I think that that you know being aware of something versus calling it something new is two different. But it feels new if you've never heard about it before. It wasn't on your radar. Talk to me about your thoughts from an investment perspective. Uh, I've recently had a few friends that have done a, f that done a couple raises, uh, Nick Beek over at Helsum and David Owen Cord over at Avanti. Both raised, couldn't get real traction in Alberta. David specifically told me, he said, Tyler, we're a 40-year company. We're raising 25 million. We've got great financials. I, he couldn't even get a call back from an Alberta investor. And they both had lead investors out of Toronto. Any thoughts from your perspective or maybe what you've seen and heard out there in terms of if it's just about awareness, and this isn't really new, but yet there feels like, in the conversations I'm having, there's a reluctance from some of our local money, which is not that the money's not there, the money just is like, doesn't want to play in spaces, but yet Toronto VCs will come in and invest in companies in our province, which I still think is great, but there's a weird gap there. I'm curious what you've seen or heard or what your kind of perspective, is it just comfort or is it just they need to become more, more aware of, of what's actually going on in this province and how valuable it is that other jurisdictions are throwing money over our borders, but we won't invest in our own. That feels a little bit ass backwards to me. <laughs> well, I, I definitely appreciate that. And I know from like fundraising myself, like getting the check to, to land and, and to write, there's there's quite a few things there. Like from what I learned, especially if you're developing a technology, the investor at the end of the day does not care about what you're producing. They care about some very key things. Hmm. What is What problem are you solving? what's in it for me, how much do you want, when do I get my money back, right? Like, you have to focus so strongly on that business case, you have to sell them on this as, a, like, a solid investment. So that's one aspect. Two, based on the fact that we are in Alberta and it's legacy oil money is a lot of the big money here, it's very legacy oil. And because we're constantly impacted by recessions, pipelines not being built, all these different things, people invest in what they know. So when you have the money out there that's watching you know, the potential of in the next two to three years, they, hey, another recession is going to hit, you're going to struggle. They're, they know what's kind of coming down the pipe if it's legacy money and they've seen it for so long. Yep. It's like, yeah, a little, little more adverse because, again, it's, it's their money at the end of the day. But I think it's because of the province that we come from and the money that sits here and how they've experienced it's their been, wealth. It's so, been earned a very certain way. Very, it has been. So yeah. investing in something where they understand, okay, they kind of get technology, they understand what they're used to investing in that makes them money, you're coming into something new. Again, it's the awareness. It's like, you know, people are lemurs. They don't want to be the first money in the door. They don't want to be the first person in. And that's the biggest struggle. It's like you just need to find that person to be first. And that's where authentic relationship-based business is what kind of, to me, gets your foot in the door more. In Toronto, I think they're more willing because they don't have any particular legacy industry that all the money's come from. It's very much in the financial service sector. Like you have mm -hmm. Bay yeah. Street, you have all the major banks coming out of Toronto. But Alberta, I think, is second in the country in terms of VC capital starting to pour in here because more awareness is coming for the innovation. Like Uber, one of their founders, came here, had to go to the States, skipped the dishes, came here, had to go to the States. I would have had way better luck if I started any other country in the world, but here, I know that. And it was like my stubbornness to be like, if I can't do this in my own damn backyard, <laughs> how am I that. expecting someone in another country to go like, yes, I'll give you money? And it was like, I'm so stubborn. I was like, if I can't make it here, if I can't sell the product here, 
I don't want to go somewhere else because like hmm. it doesn't it, it's like I need I need this buy-in for my own hometown so when I go somewhere else it's like yes I was able to make it here I was able to sell it here I was able to make my company profitable here I'm going to it's almost like you're fi- like you know a hammer and nail kind of scenario it's just like my stubbornness um to that <laughs> to that stubbornness is can, can be considered a superpower if you're if you're an right? entrepreneur absolutely it's I almost insanely, I think it's a necessity actually <laughs> I was insanely stubborn I was like no it's going to happen here and it started to happen here Right. And I'm starting to see the, the fruits of that labor. And I think like, and, but I do appreciate some companies that like they have to leave home to be able to make things successful. And I've actually found the most success I've ever had is on trade missions. When you're literally going to leave your own country, like my deal with the Edmonton airport, it literally came from like a trip to Japan to an aviation conference when I was heavily into oil and gas and almost everyone on the trip with us invested in our tech and, you know, Canadian North Airlines is like, you can use our, our airplanes and the Edmonton airport is like, we're going to incubate you and we're going to, you know, co-fund the innovation here and we're going to commercialize your product. You had to do that 10 hour flight to talk to somebody who was three hours away. (laughs) Whatever it takes. They were a five minute drive from my shop, a five minute drive from my shop. So it's like, I understand sometimes you have to go away to be able to be successful back home. And, and that part, it's like, that's why I'd love to see this, this tech innovation ecosystem thrive. Like it's where, like at the events that we do, it's like, we try and bring all the decision makers together, all those C-suites. And it's like, Hey, when you learn about what someone else is doing, you're more, but Oh, you're creating a solution. I have this problem too. How can we innovate? But you got to get the right people to the table. You got to make, get the decision makers to the table that want to be, you know, want to find ways to be successful or want to be disruptive. And I think the tech community is really growing with that. I'm seeing companies starting to come from all across Canada to set up shop here because they love the pioneering spirit. We've always had it. It, it, it really is. It's just that awareness. So if you're looking to raise funding, maybe you do have to leave uh, to get funding to bring it back home. You know, that is a possibility for sure. But I think more and more money is coming into the province and more and more government support is coming in to the province and, you know, more talent is staying in the province or pouring into the province. So I think it, we're at a really good inflection point, I think, I, like to be able to grow this even stronger than it currently is. But raising funds is never easy. Like it is probably uh, of one of the hardest things to, to do. And when, hey, don't get me wrong. If somebody in Toronto wants to invest 25 million in a Calgary company and that Calgary company stays in Calgary, but has customers all across maybe the world or even all across Canada, like I'm super okay with that. I'm absolutely. just, I'm really, it's always that gap. And when I talked to both of those were established businesses, they weren't high risk startups, but they were both technology based. And when it's like, we didn't even get a call back from an Alberta investor. That's when I was like, okay, you might be not comfortable with the startup space or you might not be, that might not be your investment. But these were like de-risk from the simple fact that they had longer track records, they had customers, they had fit. It wasn't it wasn't in that early stage, which is riskier money, arguably. So I'm, I, and it's an easy question to ask because I'm like, so you, you guys, nobody around here was interested in, in investing, which I thought was you know. But it's all it's all part of the journey, and like you said, we're we're on this road and becoming more and more aware all all the time. And the numbers are looking great. We're retaining talent better. Less less students are moving away. Our Q1 numbers for VC money raised into the province were almost ahead of last year altogether in one quarter. So the numbers bear bear out that we're moving in a really positive direction. And are you seeing I, I, any? Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I got a like million questions point. spinning through my brain. <laughs> I was going to make one last point to that. Like, just from my perspective, I've actually seen it's way easier to raise money for a dream than a reality. People want to oh, buy into a okay. dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I raised 
probably seven million dollars on a dream that had never sold a single piece of equipment just like the dream of it now that there's like a real product sitting in front and it's like hey we can do this this and this if we get this money here's the financials it it really is this like you know the the invisible freaking violin it's like no one's interested you're like wow you want to buy so a dream, interesting so but interesting. not reality and, and are, this just think, the, are those two very different groups of, of, of individuals? Because it feels psychologically so. like those are two different groups of people altogether. Well, I mean, just, just looking even in the crypto market right now, people are buying ridiculous dreams. It's just like, yeah, oh, look at enough, this retarded yeah. coin over here is going to like exponentially 100x on me and I'm going to get rich quick. It's like they're buying into a dream that really has oh, no humans have always bought into it. There's been hustles since the beginning of time. <laughs> right? But Let me sell you some beachfront slump land in Florida or whatever the joke is. Pretty much. Well, you know, Walt Disney saw that. They're like, I'll take this $1 for like 50 acres of swamp land and turn it into an amazing theme park. If I build it, they will come. But I think they basically the establish their own tax jurisdiction like that's a whole that's a whole interesting story the disneyland thing yeah that, was, that, was <laughs> that is but... another rabbit hole for, for, for another day um uh, you're involved with alberta women entrepreneurs i've had marcel on the show talking about what kind of the amazing work they do as a female in business tech founder just female leader any obstacles or any like just i'm always i'm always curious i don't think there should be any and i've always find it ridiculous when there is but i hear i talk to a lot of people in the space and they're like ah there's some realities as a female that are maybe different than i was than if you were a male just curious of your journey just sharing your perspective on that and for anyone listening who's a female kind of entrepreneur a female tech startup kind of thoughts or, or inspiration you can share from your own journey uh well i would say that from from a female experience um when i started out young um you know visibly a minority and uh, i'd walk into a board meeting and i i swear to god like people would look at me and go i'd like two creams and a sugar in my coffee please uh, shitty. Yeah. and you're like uh-huh i've had uh, <laughs> well, you should get it your damn self <laughs> yeah totally yeah no, I've, I've gone to like <laughs> oil and gas shows and you know tried to talk to other burner companies about what they're doing and i literally had a man straight up walk over to his banner, put his arms out to it and be like, ma'am, this is a burner. It's not a furnace. It doesn't go in your house. And it was like, oh my goodness, this is better homes and gardens. Well, shit. <laughs> you know, you're like, well, that was interesting. These are like, sh had, these are like shitty scenes from shitty movies, but I, I hear what you're saying. It's terrible. <laughs> right? I've, I've had men go, oh, well, if I invest in you, does that mean I get to sleep with you? It's just like, I'm not a prostitute but thanks and <laughs> then someone actually asked you that that's so terrible. not joking i i, I honestly okay. wow. it was an investment yeah don't be surprised dinner. yeah no i hear you <laughs> it was an investment dinner he reached over and grabbed my hand and and literally was like so you mean if i like so why can't i invest in you and you and it was like sir i am not a prostitute he's like good i'm really glad we established that but you know as i was saying and it was like <laughs> wow you know and yeah. i've had men go there there little girl you know, like pat me on the head. I've had men sit down when I was looking to get investment, grab my hand and look at me like, we know you've lost your dad, but don't worry. We're here. All of us are fathers and we'll be your father. We'll, we'll run this company for you because we know that you need this mentorship. And it was this like condescending. And it's like, you know what? It, it is. Well, how did you just not, a, not lose your cool completely? <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> I, I never, I refuse to see that my, my sex or my skin tone was a disability. It was like, okay, I need, you just need, I'm smarter. 
you know, I'm more capable, I'm more talented, I can do just as much. And I also started adapting. It was like, all right, I see where this is going. Fine, fair. I'm going to learn everything about, I know, cigars. Let's, let me like run circles around you talking about things like cigars and whiskey and bourbon and rum and I'll beat you at your game nicely done. Yeah, I can go hunting with you. I can talk about your weapons with you. I can get in a motorcycle with you. I can have a bourbon and a cigar with you. I can do all these other things with you. It's like you're going to I'm going to show you that I can be your peer and I'm going to put that work and effort into being your peer and not trying to be seen as oh well it's a woman we have to be mindful of her. It's just like no no I can be one of the guys too. That's perfectly fine. If this is the game that you want to play I can play this game with you but it took a lot of years to get the confidence to be able to be like you know they say that and it's it's like you make a joke about you're like oh yeah but there's some that have Hmm. pushed it very far and 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 gone into the me too movement i'm like that to me doesn't actually like that would have never helped me in the industry i was trying to break into but it is very traditional there is an old boys club it truly does exist and it is very difficult to break into it and sometimes women hold you back just as much as men like i've i've met women who are like I had to break this glass ceiling. I'm not making it any easier for you to come up to what I had to struggle to get to. And that's really unfortunate. And I, I've been like, no, you can't come on, you know, our business development trip because there's too many guys and our wives wouldn't be happy if you showed up. It's like, you know, there, there is a lot of that messy human experience trying yeah. to move things forward. If you're trying to go into an industry that's not tr- traditionally a woman, you do need to have a thick skin. You need to be able to manage rejection and manage like, it's unfortunate, but sexual harassment happens, and also in any industry. I mean, it doesn't really matter what industry you're looking at. Right. That can be a part of the culture, and, and things I'm, I'm noticing are changing is, you know, young men are grown or being raised by, like, strong single mothers. They're less inclined to see a woman as not as capable, where is my parents' generation? You know, it was still more of the women at home and men out in the working environment. So, you know, that, that shift in... Um, in women equality, I think it, it's a generational thing. It's going to come from more and more sons being raised by strong women who work to see that that is a part of the norm as opposed to society trying to force that. And, you know, the work with Alberta Women's Entrepreneurs, it's like, you know, there there is a need for women to get access to funding. Now, all of my funding has pretty much come from men. All of my mentorship has pretty much come from men. Um, I never got I never went for funding that was like because of the fact of my gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just just for me. Um, but I, for some women, that there's that comfort piece. It's like I want to know that I'm going to be supported, you know, by women to to move these things forward. And, and having institutions like that that teach women, you know, how to run a business and how to manage cash flows and and how to you know to to be a business person and how to you know how to manage certain aspects of things. Like it is important. So I, I love the work that Marcella is doing. She really champions. You know, there's there is that need to have like, you know, supportive women um, groups, but I truly look forward to the day where I see announcements and it's like, I don't ever, I don't have to see first black female CEO of blah, blah, blah. It's like, why does it matter her race? What's it matter her gender? Why can't it just be the best? Right now we're spending a lot of time flying that flag, right? We're flying a lot of time signaling things. It's (laughs) a lot of virtue signaling and it's not actually helping. It's like, well, you've completely discredited her. You've one discredited her due to her race. It's like, well, you got it because you're black. And now we just picked the diversity card Two, you got it because you're a woman. So you weren't the best human being that got picked for this. You were the best in the categories because diversity, I think is actually a very bad word. When Hmm. people constantly talk about diversity, it's like, okay, so you're the best Islamic. You're the best Brown. You're the best 
Asian or you're the best LGBTQ, you're you're the best gender, and you're trying to get all these little checkboxes and then you're picking based on a checkbox versus picking based on, you know, the best skilled person available to it. And when you do that, you discredit people very strongly. You've now discredited their gender. You've discredited their religious beliefs. You've discredited their, you know, uh, their status and how they want to identify themselves. And that creates more division. Like diversity is actually divisive because then you have people on the other side of the spectrum going, okay, well, I didn't get it because I'm not. Right. So I, it's like inclusion, yeah, no, I, I think, you. is a much better word. We're, we're an inclusive organization. Everybody gets a fair chance. If you're the best person for this task, absolutely. And I think once we start seeing like even at our conference, if you notice, we had a lot of, you know, women to male ratios, like let's make it balanced. But let's at the same time not go look at our all women panel. It's like what? Yeah, like- let's. I love the inclusive concept. And you and I chatted before we even got on about just biases and cognitive biases. And I do see I do appreciate sometimes the need for that checklist. And I'm not disagreeing with you at all. But if I'm an interviewer, I'm the person making a selection or I'm part of the selection committee and I'm not even aware of my biases. What do I have to do to make sure that I put those biases aside or I'm not even making decisions as a, and again, it could be men, it could be women, it could be anybody, but man, we all make decisions based on these biases. And sometimes we do need a checklist to keep ourselves in check, but you're right. Not if it's not actually used to change our beliefs and how we see the world, then it just becomes a chest, a checklist exercise. And that's where we miss the point completely. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and again, it, it stems right down to corporate culture. What is your corporate culture? Like, do you make somebody identify even their gender on their application form, male, female, other? Like just that alone is creating a, a signal, form of yeah. a bias, right? You're setting a signal and a tone. And and uh, it just, it does have to start in that movement and it has to start from that corporation. It's like, we are we are inclusive. What are, what are our biases? Of course we have cognitive bias and confirmation, but there's all these different biases. And are you providing leadership training to all of your, your staff or your, you know, uh, your, your personnel, your supporters to understand where their biases could be? Like who you're putting in terms of HR, what is your method for hiring that individual to understand where their biases even sit so that you know what mm, kind of people yeah. could be coming into your corporation? Like there needs to be thought process put into it. But right now it's very much like nail and hammer. It's like, you know, all the signaling, like you will recognize my minority and you will see this. And it's like, it's becoming almost, it's so rammed down your throat that people are so petrified to like, well, if I pick this, you know, middle-aged Caucasian white male, cause he's the best one. Now all of a sudden I look racist. I look bigoted. I look non-inclusive. I look all these different things. And I was like, there's never a worse time in this planet to be a middle-aged Caucasian male because it's just like, <laughs> nobody really wants to hire you. Cause you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you. I had a gentleman literally tell me he was telling his son, "You should, you should say that you are, you know, within the LGBTQ community, just so you have some diversity. So as you go oh, for wow. a job, oh, yeah. they're more likely to include you." And that's how bad it's gotten. It's like, okay, so we we pendulum swung from one end of you know yes, the did. spectrum in North America. As humans are incredibly way, good at, aren't we? <laughs> to <laughs> the other. And it's like, can it swing somewhere to the middle, please? Where it's like, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter whatever you are. Right? Are you the best person qualified for this position? Yes, let's hire based on that. Let's let's have merit because I'm really tired of people going. You know, we're looking for a board person, and we need a, a female of ethnicity who's also in in STEM. You'd be a good fit. It's like, 
you. It's like, <laughs> wow. I disrespectfully yeah. decline your opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request there, sir. But like, <laughs> thank you so much for being rude about it. Like, it doesn't make me want to support. It doesn't make yeah, me I want to get engaged and involved because you just told me that there's other candidates you'd prefer, but I'm the best of the checklist that you just came up with because you need to look in close. <laughs> someone told <laughs> someone gave you a checklist to, right to go down. And I, I like what you said about, you know, yes, we're, we're working hard now to create awareness and we're pushing the pendulum all over the place. But I, I heard what you said about these are generational changes of like, well, there's a, maybe a new or younger generation that's coming forward with a whole different set of filters that were raised and were exposed to powerful individuals in their life of all genders, races, and backgrounds. And I know we want these things to change tomorrow, but sometimes we almost have to grow out of them and, and into them at the same time. And, you know, it's like what uh, we're 10 years late to a 20 year plan kind of thing. Jim Gibson made that joke to me about Calgary a while back. And I think when it comes to things like this, like it's, it is going to take time. And I agree all these efforts and energies are important, but sometimes you just need a whole new group of people with a different mindset. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're not talking about it anymore. It just goes, it just goes away. And I'm not trying to oversimplify it because I recognize these are real issues, but I appreciate your perspective of like, don't, don't come to me with your checklist and say, you're the best of the checklist and I'm guiding you to meet a certain criteria. Yeah. Screw off with your question. But, um, right? I think we could unpack this one all day, but I really appreciate your passion around it. And you also said something too, about when you're a, when you're a business trying to sell into an industry, you've just got to also appreciate and sometimes understand how that industry has worked for the period of time before you got there. And going in, swinging a sledgehammer around, maybe it's not going to get your business, uh, you know, in the door with some certain customers. So I like how you said you, you, you decided I can play your game better than you or as good as you. So let's, let's, I'll worry about fix, changing your thought patterns later. Why don't I just come and play your game so that I can actually uh, get my product in, in, into your, into your business. And there's a lot to be said when you're in the vendor's chair of what you've got to do to play the game sometimes. Yeah. And I think that again, hmm. it's like letting go of that ego because a lot of people are like, yeah. no, you should meet me at my level because I'm this special, because I'm this minority or I'm this gender. You're forced to meet me here. And it's like, you know, you need to take your ego. You need to check it at the door because no, it doesn't mean that you are less of a person. I'm not less of a person because I chose to learn about what, you know, what men like to do and enjoy on their free time. It's like, I chose to put that effort in and go, I'll, I'll meet you at whatever level I need to meet you at, not expect you to conform to me because of my ego or my feeling of need to be special in this. And, you know, I, I need to be recognized. It's like, I'll humble myself because why? I want my business to succeed. At the end of the day, I'm not going to do anything that makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not going to sacrifice my my body for somebody in in any sense. You know, I'm not I'm not going to do those things that do not fit within my moral ground. But there's no harm in taking a little class and learning about. Oh, you guys like cigars? Oh, cool. Have Have you tried this one? And here's some notes towards it. And blah blah. And like, oh, you know about cigars? And all of a sudden, you're. <laughs> I feel that you know this what? is not a hypothetical situation you're sharing with me at all. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely not. I can show you my cigar collection. It's insane. But <laughs> it's literally because I came in. You can teach me. Like, I don't know anything. I've never. I've. Ne I don't know anything about cigars. So I'm happy to learn from you anytime. <laughs> But it's really interesting because when you get when you when you find a, a common ground, right? Because sometimes that's the hardest yeah. thing, and that's what I'm saying. It's like find their common ground. What's their interest? They love dogs. Even if you don't like dogs, learn about their dog. You know, it's just like if it's meaningful to them, and you're willing to put that time and effort to understanding something that's meaningful to your customer, right? And you and you can create that common ground. Do they like duck hunting? You know, do they like 
hiking, walking, whatever it is, if you're just willing to, to learn about something, to create that common ground, to be able to dialogue from a place where they're like, wow, you're sharing my interest. Again, they want to feel seen. They want to feel heard. They want to feel special. And how are you going to support people in being able to develop those relationships with you? Like you guys have that, if you have a best friend, authentically speaking, like you, you're passionate about their passions. Even if you don't yeah, really like around. the fact like they're a photographer and you don't really like photography, but are you going to pay attention to that photo that they just sent you? Look at the lighting and then the, the composition them, and yeah. what's what matters to them. And you're willing to do it because you want to maintain that personal relationship. But why won't you take that personal relationship building exercises that you've done in your personal life and transform it into business? What's meaningful for them? Meet them at their level, develop an authentic relationship. You know what? Because they're going to do it right back for you. So you just reminded me of a story that's just a bit abstract, but I had a buddy who was a special forces uh, in the US military and he ended up working undercover and doing some crazy stuff in part of his career. And I remember the year that kind of some of his past was um, declassified. So he kind of shared it with us and he was working undercover in all kinds of like, you know, you know, shitholes around the world, infiltrating drug organizations and things like that. And, and I said, well, what, how did you like, he goes, he goes, Tyler, if you can, f you can find common ground with anyone and with what matters to them. And all of a sudden you can become friends. He goes, that was the number one trick they taught us <laughs> just listening to you talk. And like, from that perspective, like as a salesperson, and when you're trying to get that connection, he goes, just find common ground because that's as easy just to have a, have a wide range of topics that you know a little bit about. And he goes, it's amazing when you go around the world, it's a universal truth because it doesn't really matter about culture. He goes, and he was kind of your standard middle-aged white dude that probably wouldn't have blend in, but he was so good at just kind of connecting and having conversations with people about what was important to them and his ability to find that out really quickly. And that was kind of the cornerstone of, of his job, which is something most of us just see in a movie, right? But listening to you talk, and that was his biggest takeaway. He goes, just find common ground. And there goes, the rest is kind of not that hard. <laughs> I appreciated how easy and approachable he made what was a very dangerous and kind of an interesting career that most of us only, like I said, see on TV. But it was common ground was his lesson. He just made me remember his words of advice over a beer <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> Right. It, it, it really is. It's so, it, again, it's so simple, but it's like, and I've only learned this cause I, I've had some humbling experiences. Like when I've let mm. my, my ego, like I had this one experience and I will never forget how humbling it was. And it was really early in, in my career days. My father had been sending me out to learn from all these big moguls. And uh, I got to go to these different conferences and then learn directly from guys like Eric Trump and George Ross and Jay Abrams. And I was like early twenties. And I absolutely, I was just like, oh, look at me and look who I get to like engage with. And I had this, oh, I'd had humility a long, awaits long, around every corner, <laughs> right? I had a very, very long travel day. And my neighbor who was so kind, cause I didn't really have the money got me a really amazing deal at the hotel that everyone was staying at and when I got in it was just like what do you mean my room's not ready and I was just I was tired exhausted and rude as fuck my neighbor Aww. called me reaming me out like how dare you you know like make me look poor because of and I sat there mm. that night and just was like I was so unaware of my behavior and how I treated that poor person who had to deal with me after it was okay it was like a nine hour travel day yes i was exhausted but i had any right any right whatsoever to treat somebody who was personnel who that's absolutely not and that moment just impacted me so greatly i was like my ego will forever be checked at that door because i do not want anyone to feel like they are not that i cannot offer them respect regardless of their position and the fact that i, I was so embarrassed to even look at my neighbor and i couldn't apologize enough and it was like wow i this is not who i choose to be as a person and i'm grateful that happened in my early 20s because every experience since then it doesn't matter if you know 
who you are, what you're doing. Absolutely. And, and in my, in my life, like I worked two jobs to build up ACI and one of them, I put myself um, as an esthetician. I literally was there. Like I, I worked in one of the bougie areas of town and I had these wealthy wives that would come in, look down on me consistently as I manicured and pedicured their feet and provided them a service. And I create, I did it because I wanted to have that consistently humbling experience of like, okay, I am in service. And I know how to develop out relationships, even when people look down on me. And I use all of those experiences to be able to like develop out the kind of relationships I want in my business, because I was able to turn, I was like, if I can turn their opinion of me around, right, even though, yes, I am sitting here and I am pedicuring your feet, but I'm going to show you that I am an intelligent person. I'm going to develop that relationship with you. And you're going to want to come back and, and talk to me and have me service you because you want to develop that relationship with me. And I had that every single time. And I did that for almost eight years. And I think everyone needs those customer service experiences because you need that humbling moments. You need to know that it's not just about you. It's what you can offer them as well. And if you're trying to develop something and you're trying to sell something, get investment from someone, do anything, you need to realize it's not just about you. It's about what their wants and their needs and how you're going to be able to service them at the end of the day. And I think it's so impactful for, for, for that to happen check your ego at the door. It's not just about you. And the more people do that, the better it's going to be. I love your reference to a service-based job. I put myself to school working behind a bar, waiting tables. And when I see that on a resume, like way back, or someone has a history of that, I immediately know that if they did for any period of time, they learned the game or they weren't successful at it, period. Like you've got to learn that game really quickly. But the power of, of knowing that and using it to your advantage, and I love how you parlayed that through. And I love your early 20s lesson. We all have that moment, whether we remember it or not, or took the lessons away. But you clearly did. That's a great, that's such a great example. Yeah, next, so time, next time you think you're more important than somebody, maybe think twice. <laughs> such a good, I took well, so many just, layers out of that. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's that balanced approach, right? It's like, yeah. I, I'm not going to see myself as less than you, regardless of your totally. position. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I've gone and partied with billionaires. But I don't see myself as less than them. It's like, okay, you, you've done amazing things. I'd love to learn from you, but I'm not going to become inferior to you. But I'm not going to see myself as superior to you, regardless of, of where you sit. I don't care if you're, you know, a struggling student trying to go through school. Again, I'm not going to see myself as less than or greater than. It's just we're all human beings. Right, and I think banging coming, our way through the life, the, a life experience. <laughs> we've all had those moments. I mean, Jesus, everyone's had their trials and tribulations, but it's just like meet people as an equal. You know, I think that just that that form of authentic relationship based building is so important. And, and a lot of how I've gotten to those points is actually through a lot of mental health work. Like I am such a proponent for it. I started doing work when I was about 18. I had some pretty traumatizing experiences. And I was like, I wanted to like just be a better person for my children. I had a son and I was like, how am I going to be that mom that is going to make my son feel like he's worthy and he's loved and he's whole as a person and he's not going to have the same struggles I, I, I had of, you know, like not wanting to live anymore kind of a thing. And, you know, I, every, every Monday, actually, I work with a lady who does what's called belief repatterning, a form of like cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, like fantastic. where are my I negative beliefs yeah. coming from? And I love it for work because when I do it on a Monday morning, I set my intentions for the week. And it's like, if I have experiences, it's, it's shifting your energy. We're also energy beings. I know we're getting into that theorem conversation, but we really are just energy yep. beings. And you and I are exchanging energy right now, even though it's, it's a frequency and it's a, it's a resonance. Absolutely. I agree. With you. Exactly. And if there's something that comes up, if I have an experience that, you know, makes my energy go up or makes my energy go down, it's like, what was my belief? And being a woman, you know, and, and again, I don't see that as a negative, but like in the position I was in, it was like, I had to believe 
I was worthy. I was capable. I was confident. I could do this work. I could make this happen. I could raise that money. I could, I could be just as smart. I could be, you know, I, I had to truly work on where were my limiting beliefs and where did I think I wasn't worthy enough or deserving enough or good enough? What was my beliefs around money and my beliefs around work, my beliefs around family. And it's like an emotion, like, EQ is a massive component to business and being willing to get out of your own way and find out where your limiting beliefs are and then come to the table and being willing to learn, be that cup that's half empty and do that work to continuously like better yourself. I think that is one of the reasons why people, you ask me like, how are you able to do all these different things? Why? Because I know I can, because I believe I can. And if I have those moments where I'm like, I've had it crying on my kitchen floor, bawling my ass off. I'm going to go bankrupt. I can't make it. I am losing everything. Just absolutely devastated. And my therapist's like, all right, you had your moment. Pick up your big girl pants. You're going to move on. You're going to take it as your off ramp. And it's like, I'm going to pick up my big girl pants, right? And you need to have those moments where you, you're, you know, you're humbled again. Can I do it? What, what made me believe that I had to stay on that floor? Okay, I don't have to stay on that floor. I can pick myself up. Like people look at people that are successful and go, "Oh, you must have had it easy." It's just like, no, no. Oh God, I, I hate have... that. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. Right there. <laughs> Take no, the time have... to ask before you make that assumption because I guarantee you, it's wrong. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah, but I, the people who've made it through are the ones that you're. You have so much tenacity. You have, you're you're grit. stubborn. You know, you're grit. so willing, right? You're like, <laughs> yeah. I will make this successful, and it's not at all cost. It's like you, but it's the ones that they'll put in the work. Of course. What do I no, need to do absolutely. to become successful? And everybody has the opportunity. It doesn't matter where, like what, I, I think there's a quote I love so much. It's like being born poor is not a choice, but dying poor is, right? <laughs> yes, like I, you yes, do yes, not yes. have to stay in the situation to which you were born. Yeah, but what beliefs are, are holding you there or what beliefs are living, are lifting you up? I hundred percent. Exactly. Cause whether you believe it, whether you do or you don't, it's true, right? That's the old, <laughs> if you believe it, then it doesn't matter what's, what's actually accurate. It's accurate in your mind and having someone working with an external coach, kudos to you on that. I'm a huge advocate of that. I've always had people in my life in that role. It's hard to see the label when you're inside the bottle and we live firmly inside our own bottles and we, and we, I am so good at telling stories to myself. It's ridiculous. But man, when someone goes, well, what if that story was slightly different? I'm like, well, what if that's pretty interesting. And when you're younger, you maybe fight the what if story, but as you get older, it's just like, oh yeah, you know what? I like that story better. I'm going to grab onto that one. It's incredibly powerful when you start to realize that you, it's just a choice and that is oversimplified, but also hundred percent true. In my it really is. And you know, that goes right back to that moment I had and not, or I can be a mom and a woman in business, right? Yeah. I can be a CEO here and an executive director here. I can have, you know, the life I want to have and have the vacations that I want to have. It's, it's removing that limitation that makes you think you have to make a choice instead of believing that you can have whatever it is that you want to have. And of course, backing that up by being willing to work for it. Like I, I feel yes. like we've, yeah. we've lost our work, work ethic and I don't know how we did it, but like, I feel like my generation, I see generations that come after me and I'm like, I would work two to three jobs. I wouldn't care if I had to work at McDonald's to get my business underway. Like, and I have literally worked at McDonald's and Burger King and I'll die. I've been a busser and I've been a dishwasher. I don't care what I've had to do. I will, I will, I will grind. No, when, when did, when did working hard become uncool? There's a weird little, I don't know. I, I, and I think it's individual too. I run into pockets, but all of a sudden like the hustle became 
almost like I grew up in a work hard environment and like I've done everything from pick rocks for $2 an hour when I was a kid to whatever. And that's just how it was. And, you know, like you said, go to school and then go work the bar and then go do your day job and then go back to the bar that night to do a shift because you're going to make good tip money. And all of a sudden now there's is a generation where it's like, oh, yeah, I was talking to my nephew. I don't have a job lined up for the summer or whatever. I'll just kind of coast around like, dude, you're 19. What are you doing? Like, it's just was so not the way I grew up at all. I always had something lined up. Always. It just wasn't an option. It wasn't an option. It's, it's, It's a level of entitledness because I think like as a society, we have given so much voice to things that it boggles the mind. It's just like, and I'm going to get into a controversial topic here, but it's just like, at this point, you can't say anything if someone chooses to identify as a magical pink unicorn. It's like, well, I feel like I would like to help you with some, you know, cognitive therapy here because I'm not understanding where this is coming from. But because it's so allowable to like anyone, you can't say anything. You can't, like, you can't shame on anything. And it's like, and I don't believe in shaming somebody. I do believe in humbling moments, but it's just like, well, don't shame me because I'm lazy. Well, don't shame me because I, you know, can't stop putting this in my mouth. Well, don't shame me because I can't stop doing drugs. And it's like, okay, maybe not shame, but it's like, do you not see anything wrong with this? And it's like, and because you- <laughs> There's a the difference between shame and calling out a, a dis, a, maybe a non-beneficial behavior. <laughs> but you can't do that now because know, if you I do, know, woke culture is going to come up. And I think a really good example of that is this whole Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing. And it's like, okay, now, like I'm- it, I'm, I'm happy that narcissism is now one of those things that's truly coming out because I, I think it's been a mental health issue for a very long time. But now all of a sudden it's like woke culture canceled a man that was being abused at home based on someone who felt it was their place in life to destroy someone's life because they weren't happy, you know, and just seeing how that's playing out and how that impacted this man's life. How many other lives has this impacted making those rash decisions or being part of that woke cancel culture without being willing to go, well, is there another side? Like when that came out, There's I was always like, another I, side. There's always another yeah, side. Yeah. I never stopped loving Johnny Depp. I was like, I didn't really see that. I was like, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know him, but I, I, it was hard for me to picture that that could be someone who he was, but I was like, all right, well, that's really unfortunate. I was really sad. I thought there were, his movies were, were absolutely brilliant. And it was, it was amazing. Like JK Rowling, she's got canceled. All these amazing people got canceled because a small minority group was just like woke culture woke up. And now it's like, you can't say anything about anything anymore. You're not allowed to have, you're not allowed to be a fringe minority with, you know, disappropriate views. You're, you're not allowed to have your own voice. You can't say what you want to say anymore. You, you can't, you can't tell somebody like, Hey, you know, like you could be doing something else with your life or, you know, maybe, maybe there's some challenges going on here. You can't say anything. And now there's this entire entitled society that believes that I should just be taken care of because I exist. And it's like, well, I'm sorry. Look at the animal kingdom here. We're no better than them. They have to fight for every single meal that they get. Why is it that you think that you shouldn't have to work for your meal that gets put on the table? Who's supposed to put that on the table? If my tax dollars are supposed to put that on your table? Like, when did we get to this point as a society? And I, I, I think also, I think my generation. It had seems a lot to it do seems kind it. of slowly, and then all of a sudden, from an observer's perspective, like when you know, looking back in history of like when did it tip? And it seems like the last three to five years or three years. I, but I, I, I got have no idea. No, it's it's, it's it, this it, generation. It's, it's so not how it's, I was brought up to think about the world. <laughs> no, but if you think about it, that our generation is a massive component to it. We didn't like how we felt in school when we felt like. 
I'm being bullied oh, yeah, or for, I'm and now being we're in treated. position to, to make some, do something about it. So we are right. Yeah. it's a good point. Right. So those who felt and, and, and nobody should feel bullied. And again, I'm not trying to advocate for any satisfaction. It's more just mm-hmm. a perspective. Like I was bullied my entire life through school. I was a, like hit and spitballed and bad notes and threatened constantly. It was a horrific school experience for me. I didn't turn around and become that bully. And I didn't teach my children that just because they didn't win that race, they still deserve a participation award. Right. It's like, but we have this culture of like, well, I felt this way. I don't want anyone else to feel this way. So I'm going to make sure that no one has the experience I had. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that hugely, especially in like identity in schools. It's like, okay, so I appreciate you shouldn't have had to feel growing up that you were, you know, not accepted for being you. That's horrible. But please don't think that every other person is having that exact same experience as yourself. And now you're pushing your experience onto other people, trying to force them to, you know, I, I don't know, have empathy, not empathy, but it's like you're creating op, you're creating experiences for people based on your beliefs and your emotional experiences that they're not having, but you're like, they could be having it. So I need to make sure that this doesn't happen to them. And that's a lot of what's happening I'm seeing in the world right now and why we can't say anything to, to anybody. And it's like, well, so have you heard that one? It's just like um, hard times make strong men. Strong times make strong times make good men. Good men make weak times weak times. Or uh, yeah, it's kind you of kind of know what I'm saying yeah, here. It's what happens in time of struggle versus times of peacetime, and kind of that. Yes, I, I've exactly. not heard that. I haven't heard that whole ver- the whole statement, but I understand what you're referencing. So when you have like, if you look at it today politically, is I have a weak man right? That's leading the entire country. That's making hard times for everybody. But these hard times are going to create strong men and those strong, strong men are going to create good times. But when you have good times, you create weak men, right? Because if everything's so easy and no one has to struggle, right? It's actually through, it's, it's through adversity. Life is not about learning to avoid the hurricane. It's how do you dance in the rain? How do you manage that adversity? How do you see yourself moving through the adversity how do you how do you strengthen your inner core to be able to manage anything that life throws at you but people are so afraid of having to go through a struggle that they try to make everything so bloody easy that it's just like you're actually making it worse for everybody else you have such an entitled culture coming up that they're not going to work they're going to make times even harder for others like the, the, body, the, the body and their mind are these amazing adaptable, adaptable, you know, mechanisms. And I always used to joke, I worked in fitness for years, one of my many jobs. And I was like, well, your body's going to adapt to the couch or the treadmill. You just have to decide which stimulus you're putting it under. If you put it on the couch all the time, it'll get very comfortable with that environment. You put it on a treadmill, it'll adapt to that. But when you talk about, you know, resilience and, you know, I was watching a Ted talk and they said, you know, it's not intelligence. It's not upbringing. It's not riches. It's not, it's grit. It's the ability to push through is what will absolutely without question determine your success. And we strive for easy, we strive for no friction, but there is reams of documentation shows that that actually has the, gives you the out, uh, opposite outcome, but we're so addicted to the illusion of easy. <laughs> it's, it's actually really, I did not grow up under easy. I don't think you did either from listening to and getting to know you a little bit. 
No, I didn't. No, no. I, I grew up in didn't. I grew up in a rural environment. I grew up on a farm, so there was no such thing as easy. It's like let's work. Like you know, you, part of being born onto a farm is you're being born into an uh, by default workforce. And I didn't love that environment, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because it taught me what hard work was all about. Because it wasn't even an option. I didn't get to say I didn't feel like it that day. <laughs> That's it. Sorry, it makes me laugh out loud to even think about saying I didn't want to do such and such that day. I'd be like, pardon me? No, no, we're doing this today because today is the day that we're doing this thing, and that's just how it goes. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is life. Like I, I was 100%. raised like. I have a bit of an interesting view on my life being raised. Like I was raised by entrepreneurial parents, but I was also raised in the environment of a cult. Right. And you have the, this like interesting view of the the life that you were born into. That was, it's very different than how society actually functions and operates. And, and there was a lot of, uh, you know, not great things that, you know, would happen within this cult environment that you were raised in. But luckily my, my parents got us out of that when, you know, I was a teenager, but it was like, you have, experiences that shape you and you can determine is it shaping you for the better or yeah, are you going to become 100%. a perpetual victim right and yes. it's the victim mentality that i'm seeing so much right now that it's like well like no one's re- like you're you're responsible for your life like yes if you had a harsh upbringing but where you are today you're you're part of that upbringing but you have the ability to choose it you how you want choice. to be and how you want to act and if you're choosing to maintain this perpetual victimhood because yes you did have a hard experience growing up i had that i've had the abuses and all of those things but do i choose that to define me today or do i choose to work on myself move through those experiences and situations and become a better version of me right and I'd love anyone, to see anyone, anyone who knows you knows you chose the latter. Kalia Carrington, not a victim. <laughs> no, definitely no, not. I, I, pre- I appreciate the power of the choice. Kalia, you and I can go all day and we're going, if anyone's still listening, it's because clearly they like our philosophical side because I really appreciate <laughs> your views. But when it comes back to being a leader, running a business, you can read all the frameworks and all the how-to books in the world. It's still about who you are as a person. And I think that's what came out today loud and clear on this episode. And if things aren't going the way you want, look at your beliefs, get a coach, get someone to help you with an external perspective, Refra- reframe things. Things. Find a new framework at which to, in which to look at something that it might just actually work out better. And by the way, hard work is still cool because it's required to be successful. I, I do not buy into this like no hard work kind of mindset. So um, absolute combustion international. There's so many ways to find you. You're out there, you're speaking, you're involved in the community. My hat's off for all the work that you do and all the contribution you make to the people around you. But if someone really was dying to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Mm. Um, I guess the best way to get in touch if anyone really wanted to would be my, uh, my email, which is like Kalea at Kalea.ca. Okay. Um, yeah, you can find that through like my website and stuff. So really, really easy to, to get a hold of me. You can Google. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there's this amazing thing called the internet. It's, you can find just about anything you want in there. It's fantastic. Kalea, thanks yeah. for taking the, thanks for taking the time and thanks for willing to just have a conversation, a good old fashioned chat and wherever it goes, it goes. And that was a great a conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, eh? I love being on your show.